appreciate that. Very, very good. Boy, it's good to worship, isn't it? I know some people here are going to worship this afternoon about 2 o'clock at the Kansas City game. I believe it's 2, isn't it? No, it's 5. Okay, 5. Well, you can see how much I paid attention. Uh, but we do have some chief fans in the house. And I know they're excited. And uh, go Bengals. Teasing, teasing. All right. Good to have you here today. Uh, good to have Vern speak about brotherhood. That is Saturday at 8 o'clock. Great breakfast. Good fellowship. Time to connect, okay? Time to grow. Time to multiply. So if you can't at all, be there. We are in John chapter 17. If you'll make your way there. We will read verses 1 through 12 in just a moment. You know, it's talking about prayer. And prayer is such an important part in the Christian life that we need constant reminders and updates that we need to be praying. We, we need to be about prayer. And, and, and in fact, Paul says in Thessalonians, pray always. So always be in a state of prayer. That doesn't mean you always have your head bowed and your eyes closed and your hands folded. But it means you're praying. You're constantly in a mode of prayer and that you're calling out to the Father and you're asking His wisdom, His direction, His purpose, His goals for your life. But you may be like this gentleman that uh, prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, so far today, I've done really, really well. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been grumpy. I haven't been nasty. I haven't been selfish. And I haven't been mean. And I'm glad about that. But in a minute, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need your help. And I think most of us feel that same way, Lord, when I get up, I'm going to need your help because I'm really going to struggle. You know, you can learn a lot about an individual from their prayers and, and, and listening to what they have to say. And uh, Sandy and I pray before meals, we pray together. And, and, you know, you can learn a lot about someone's day when they pray. And it's very, very important that we be in a state of prayer. Jesus was constantly in a state of prayer. And uh, Luke 6, it said he prayed all night. He prayed all night. Now, I've never prayed all night, I have to admit. I have attempted to pray sometimes into the night, and guess what happens? You got it. And if you can't go to sleep, just start praying. After a bit of time, you will fall asleep, guaranteed. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So Jesus got alone with the Father in prayer. And you and I need to get alone with the Father in prayer. And in the prayer in John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer. It is not the model prayer. It is Jesus' prayer. And I think he tells us a lot about himself and us and his disciples in this prayer. This is the longest and most beautiful prayer that we find in the Bible concerning Jesus praying. And it is an absolute beautiful prayer. So I'd ask you to stand as we read the verse 12 verses. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Father, I ask you to bless the reading of your word, and I pray, Father, you would open our hearts to see this incredibly beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed. And Father, I just ask that each of us Look within our hearts and see if we are His. Because the only true thing in life that matters is that we are His. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This prayer is divided into three different sections. In the first five verses, Jesus prayed for Himself. In the next Verses in verse all the way through verse fourteen, Jesus prayed that his disciples would be fortified and that they would be glorified. And then in the next section of verses, Jesus prays for us, the church, those who would come because of the preaching of his word, and we, he prayed for us. And that to me is absolutely incredible. That over two thousand years ago in the garden, Jesus had me on your mind, his mind, and you on his mind. He was praying for us. Now. As we look at this, we want to, I want to break it down today into two different sections. The first section, I will speak about 75% of the time on that and about 25% of the time on the second part of this. And the reason being, uh, the next two weeks we'll be finishing this prayer up and I'll speak more about the second part. But the first thing that I see and glean from this is this. Jesus prayed that he would be glorified. Now Jesus opens up the passage of scripture in verses 1 through 5 and he prays that he would be glorified and that's incredibly important because Jesus prayed for himself. And I've had people say to me, well you know I don't think you need to pray for yourself. That's kind of a selfish prayer. Well listen, Jesus prayed for himself, and he's indicating that you and I should pray for ourselves as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I need all the prayer I can get. If that means I'm praying for me, then at least I'm getting some prayer, right? So we should be praying for ourselves, and we should be praying that God would be glorified through us as well. Now, again, that was not a selfish prayer. It was a personal prayer. Every Sunday morning before I come out here, at 10 o'clock, I go into the back, and I get in my office, and I pray for this time. I pray for the service. Now I've already prayed for it earlier, but that last few minutes I pray for it again. And I pray for everyone here that the Holy Spirit would touch their hearts. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would just absolutely overwhelm me and that the words that I say are not coming from me, but are coming directly from Him, that He might be glorified and He might draw others unto Himself. Now, 
When Jesus was praying for himself in the garden there, he was praying for the Father to be glorified. Look again at verse number 1. It said, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify yourself that your Son also may glorify you. In other words, when we are glorifying the Father, guess what the the Son is doing? He's saying, I'm being glorified because you are being glorified. In fact, that verse is a verse that you need to underscore, underline, because it is that important. Underscore and underline that verse. He reveals to the Son that He will be glorified as He glorifies the Father. So there's two things that come out of this. Two things that come out of this when Jesus prayed to be glorified. The first thing that comes out of this is this. He, by giving eternal life. He gives us eternal life. That's how He's glorified, by giving us eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that He does give us eternal life because apart from that, we would be everlasting lost. And He gives us that precious gift. And the concept of eternal life is one that um, people really kind of mix up a little bit. Now, let me just pass out a scripture that you've heard many times. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, and I love this word, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as, as we think about that, that's a good news, bad news verse. Good news, he gives us a gift of eternal life. Bad news, what I earned by my life is the wages of sin, which is death, separation from God forever, in a horrible place. Now, we're all sinners by nature and by choice. So what we earn by that paycheck is eternal death, separation from God. And that's what we earn. That's what we deserve. But God says, I want to give you a special gift And that gift is eternal life. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can pray enough for. It's not something you can work hard enough for. It's not something you can keep the law for. It is a free gift based upon Jesus' death on the cross as he imparts that gift to us. And that gift is found in none other than Jesus Christ. There is no other way to receive eternal life other than Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of confusion, as I said just a moment ago, about what eternal life is. People say, what eternal life? What would you define eternal life in? And if I were to ask the question, you were to write it down on a piece of paper, we'd get a lot of different answers. We'd get a lot of different Some people say, well, eternal life is living forever in heaven with the Lord. That's a good definition, but it's not the best. That's not the best definition of eternal life. Now, that's what we receive is life eternally with the Heavenly Father, but that's not the best Description of it. In fact, the best description you need to underscore again in your Bible is verse 3. This is eternal life, Jesus says. That they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sinned. So what is eternal life? It is knowing God through Jesus Christ. So what is eternal life if someone asks you? It is... We can do better than that. What is eternal life? Knowing God through Jesus Christ. Now that's eternal life. I mean, he tells us that, right? So if Jesus tells us that, surely we can take that to the bank. And that's eternal life. Now you benefit from eternal life by being able to live forever with God in heaven. But here is what eternal life is. Knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. Having that personal relationship with Him. Now, I don't know about you, but... Pure religion is boring. Amen? Religion is boring. 
I've got to keep this rule and that rule and do this and do that. Many sermons are boring. I preached a few. Hope today's isn't. We've all listened to boring sermons. When I was a kid, I was amazed. I was amazed that a 30-minute sermon seemed to last forever. But Gilligan's Island, which was 30 minutes, seemed to be over in a moment. And I was wondering, how could that be? But sermons, if you're just religious, are going to be boring. You have to have that personal relationship with Christ, and then that sermon is no longer boring. It's amazing how that changes your life when you have that personal relationship. I read about an oil man who was, had been in the oil field a long, long time, and his pastor, a young man, was very, very boring. So one Sunday after another boring sermon, he walked up to him at the door, and he said, Son, I want to give you a little advice. He said, I've been in the oil business all my life. He said, After I've been drilling for 30 minutes and I've found no oil, I quit boring. So sometimes we just need to shut it off. Someone said that a sermon is like a piece of bologna, like a slab of bologna. You cut off both ends, you still have bologna. So, but cut it off. I mean, you can only sit and listen so long, right? And we need to get to the point, make the point, and then get through the point, and then ask the people, to, will you be challenged by this? Eternal life is knowing God. The question is, do you know the Father through the Son? Some of you may know Jesus kind of like you know Abraham Lincoln. You know about him historically. You've read about him. You you, you can tell when he was born, where he died, where he lived. You can say all those things about him where he's entombed. I mean, you can say all of those things about him. and, And you know a great deal of information historically But you never met Abraham Lincoln, so you don't know him personally. And a lot of people in the same way, they know Jesus Christ historically. He lived a good life. He died. He went to the cross. He went to the tomb. He went back to the Father. He resurrected after three days. All of those things. And he's in heaven. But you don't know him like you need to know him. I mean, my wife and I, yesterday was a wonderful day. We spent the entire day together. Just talking, enjoying each other. Uh, eating a lot. Man, we ate a lot. And, and uh, we just had a great time. I mean, we didn't even get a shower until like 3 in the afternoon. And finally I said, you know, thou stinketh. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but the truth is we spend time together. We talk together. We know one another. We, we long to spend time together. And, and, and that's how you get to know someone. But if you don't know that person... You can know a lot about him. For instance, John Daly. I love John Daly playing golf. I love to watch him. He had a wild life, has had a wild life, and I guess still does have a wild life. But I watched him play golf for over 30 years. And I, I can tell you how many PGA victories he has. I can tell you how many Asian victories he has. I can tell you how many amateur championships. I can tell you a lot about him. I can tell you he's married four times. And, and I can tell you all of these things. But I have never met the man. So I know about him but I do not know him. And many people know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him. And to really know him, it's not a boring religion, but it's a relationship where you communicate on a constant basis with him. And when you know Jesus Christ and you know the Father, you have eternal life. I am so glad that eternal life is... 
That's a little bit better. So when somebody asks you, you can tell them what eternal life is, okay? Because there's a lot of confusion. But it is knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. What you benefit with is eternity in heaven with Him in a beautiful place with wonderful people and all of the angels of heaven and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But that's a byproduct. Knowing Him is what's important. The second part of this, Jesus prayed to be glorified, is, listen, by completing His work. The responsibility of the disciples, our responsibility is to complete His work. Jesus said in verse 1, He spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Now, Jesus is basically saying my work here is almost finished. He's not saying when he says hour, he's not saying 60 minute period of time. He's saying I'm about to leave you guys. I'm about to go. My hour has finally come because over and over he said, my hour's not yet, my hour's not yet, my hour's not yet. But now in the Garden of Gethsemane he said, my hour, my, my time it has come. He knew going to the cross was very near. In verse number 4 he says these words, I have glorified you on the earth, talking to his Father. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now listen, here's the thing. Each of us, we have a responsibility to finish the work that God has given us to do. And as we go through life, here's what we do. We work... For the kingdom until the Lord says, time's up. It's over. It's time to come home. You've glorified me on earth. Now I'm bringing you to heaven where you're going to have a glorified body. Amen is right. And and God says, listen, I'm going to glorify myself through you. And then I'm going to give you glorification. Now, the word glory is an interesting word there in in verse 4. The word glory is, is... found over 350 times in the Bible. And uh, what it means is a brilliant light. And this brilliant light we see over and over in, the, in, in the, the Bible. In fact, in the tabernacle, when the glory of God would be seen, it would be called the Shekinah glory of God because this brilliant light would come down from heaven. And in the tabernacle there in the Holy of Holies, and, and only the high priest could be there to give the offering for the sins of the nation to roll them back for one more year. And then we see there at the birth of Jesus in Luke's gospel, in chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of the Lord. The, behold, the angel, angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. If a brilliant light came out of the middle of the night from nowhere, seemingly, and struck you, you too would be fearful. You would fall to the ground. It was the glory of the Lord. And Jesus shared His glory while He was on earth through His miracles first. And for 30 years Jesus lived a simple life. No one knew who He was. And His glory was hidden from all to see. And three ways that He showed His glory. And number one, He showed His glory... He covered his glory with the veil of flesh. That's that's what covered his glory. But secondly, we see his glory displayed in the miraculous, the the, the changing of the of the water to wine. That first miracle in John two, raising the paralytic. 
We see it over and over. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus being raised. You see that glory come through for a short burst of time. But it's just momentary. You see it in that woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. And and she just wanted to be healed. She used all of her money. Everything she had. And she just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she did, Jesus said, glory or power went out from me. And Peter's like, what do you mean? Somebody touched him in your garment. People are pushing and shoving all over you. And he said, no, but the glory went out of me. The power went out from me. And the woman was identified and she was healed immediately. But I guess in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the greatest glorification of Jesus happened in the transfiguration on the mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John went up to the mount with them and, and there was Moses and there was Elijah, there was Moses, the giver of the law, there was Elijah, the giver of the prophets, and there was Jesus. And, 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 and the glory was shining. And, and they said, Peter said, let's make an altar to all three. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's all about me. They're here to talk about my impending exodus. As Moses led the children out of Egypt, Jesus is about to lead the children out of bondage to give us eternal life, knowing Him and knowing the Father. His glory shone. It was no longer veiled in flesh. But remember the Last Supper? There is John. John, the beloved disciple, leaning upon the breast of Jesus, listening to every word that he had to say. He had been with him for over three years, and he loved him intimately. He loved him. But then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And in Revelation 1.17, we read these words. John is about to be visited by the glorified Christ. And he said, and when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. He was saying to John, 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 it's me. It's okay. It's me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But you see, John had been with him all this time, and yet when he saw him here, what did he do? He fell like a dead man. You know what's going to happen when you first see Jesus? You're going to fall like a dead person. You're going to fall at his feet because of the glory of God. And then he's going to say, It's okay. It's me. And raise us up. Wow. I can only imagine how incredible that will be. You know, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of His glory, and the expressed image of His person, and upholding all things by His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know what he was saying? My work is done. My work is done. The gift is here. You have to receive it. But it's here. Do you want it? Because the wages that you earn will never get you into heaven. Jesus prayed that he would be glorified, that he might glorify the Father. Second, and this is short, and I'll be done. Jesus prayed for his disciples to be fortified. He prayed for his disciples. I mean, these 11 men, he prayed for. 
He spent five verses praying for himself. And now he prays the rest of this high priestly prayer for others. And Jesus prayed for his 11 disciples with him who had not forsaken him. He prayed that night 2,000 years ago. He also prayed for us. Look down in verse 20. What you have not read yet. I do not pray for these alone. These alone, my 11 disciples or apostles that are here with me. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Through what? Whose word? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we get the basis of who Jesus is, his earthly ministry. You believe through their word. It still humbles me every time I read chapter 17 that he prayed for me, for me, for you, those who are believers. How did he pray? Well, he prayed that we would be protected. By God's name. That we would be protected. I'm just going to introduce this point as I said earlier in the message because two messages later, two messages that are coming up will be about this. You know, Jesus had been with the disciples physically for three and a half years and his disciples were protected by him. They were under his wings, if you will. And, and he said, Father, I'm going to return to you. And as I return to you, Father, I want you to do this. So he prayed in verse 11 these words. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. These guys, us. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. You know what he's praying for? That the body of Christ would be glorified. That the body of Christ would be unified. That the body of Christ would work as one. That's what he is praying for there. And he's praying, I'll protect them in my name. And Jesus is saying, Lord, protect them in your name. That's the only way they're going to make it through. What name is that? All the way back in the wilderness there is Moses and he sees this bush burning and it's not consumed and he goes up, takes his shoes off because it's holy ground. And Who are you, Lord, if I'm going to go back to Pharaoh? Who are you? You have to tell me who you are because I don't know your name. And what did he say? I am. Seven times in John's gospel we see that I am ego ami of Jesus. He says, I am and identifying himself with the Father. We are one. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. He said, I am, I am over and over. And we are protected through his name. So when you feel threatened or you feel afraid, call on the name of Jesus. I am. I need your help. I need your help. Come and help me now. It'll bring peace. And he will also break strength. Secondly, he, we see this. He prayed that we would be unified in one purpose. One purpose. Not 50 different purposes, but one purpose. What is the purpose that he wants us to be unified in? How does it unify us? The goal is that we are to advance the kingdom of God. The goal is that we are to bring others into the kingdom. As we glorify God, he is glorified in them as well. And we do that by knowing Jesus 
and by knowing the Father. And then we bring people into eternal life because of that knowledge. And then others want to share the good news. That's why we connect, grow, and multiply. That's why we do that. That's why we try to build the kingdom of God. It's not about the local church. It's about the kingdom work. And we are to be about it all the time. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the responsibility. That's why we send 5,700 Southern Baptist missionaries across the world today, and the local pastors stand behind pulpits. We want to advance the kingdom of God, not only in another nation, but also in our own nation. That's how we glorify Him. We take the gospel to others because they've never heard. In 2018, two very influential men died three weeks apart. One was Stephen Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins, brilliant physicist. At 20, he was diagnosed that he would die within two years. He lived to be 76 years old. He was revered in science. He said he wasn't violently opposed to Christians, but he wasn't a Christian. And he said, Christians, basically, they believe a fairy tale because the human brain is a computer. And once the computer stops working, computers don't go to computer heaven. So he theorized through that that this computer, when it stops working, physical death, that we cease to be. Billy Graham was the other man who died three weeks before Stephen Hawkins. And he spent his entire life advancing the gospel. He died at 99 years old. Last 25 years he dealt with Parkinson's. He did a lot of good, led a lot of people to Christ, did a lot of crusades, preached I don't know how many messages. He lived a good life. Stephen Hawking lived a good life. But then let me bring a third person into this conversation. That's Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century philosopher and mathematician. And he had, or he came up with this phrase that's still used today called Pascal's Wager. And Pascal's Wager was this. Stephen Hawkins lived a good life, didn't believe in God. He did a lot of good things. But if he's wrong, if he's wrong, he's lost it all. Billy Graham was a good man who did a lot of good things as well, fed a lot of people, clothed a lot of people, preached the gospel to a lot of people who were converted to Christianity because of him. And he lived a good life. But if Billy Graham was wrong, he really hasn't lost anything. Vance Habner tells the story of this lady who was a homekeeper homemaker. There was a knock on her door that day. She went to the door and there was a man dressed nicely at the door. And 
I said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? And she said, yes. I said, do you know Jesus? And she stood there for a moment. And she shut the door. Her husband came home that afternoon and she said, I've been upset all afternoon. I said, well, what, what are you upset about? I said, well, this nicely dressed man came to the door and he asked me a question. He, what was the question? Her husband asked. He said, do you know Jesus? And I've been upset all afternoon. Well, why have you been upset? He said, didn't you tell him that you sang in the choir? Didn't you tell him that you work in children's ministry? Didn't you tell him that you pack Samaritan boxes to send to those who are in need? Didn't you tell him those things? And she said, that's not what he asked me. He asked me, do you know Jesus? So I ask you, do you know Jesus? Because when you boil it all down, nothing else matters. What you have, what you've done, what you've accumulated, it'll be dust, rust, and ashes. Your deeds will be somebody else's deeds. Your money will be somebody else's money. You will lie in a casket in the earth unless you're cremated, awaiting that second resurrection. If you don't know Jesus, today is your day. And I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher, a deacon. I don't care who you are. If you know a lot about him but you don't know him, you need to get it right today because you don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. So let's pray. Father, I pray for your will. I pray, Lord, that you might be glorified. I pray, Father, you would use us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here, that knows all about you, that doesn't know you, today they would get it right because it's so vital. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.